Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is the Studio Services Coordinator at Blackstone Audio, and we're going to hear a little bit more about that later and what all that entails. Jesse Bickford, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It is my pleasure. I'm so glad that uh, that we got a chance to meet at APAC this last year and have a chance to sit down and, and chat briefly. Totally. Yeah, it was great. Yep. Uh, I had a, a great time there, and uh, of course, it's a whirlwind. So I don't remember exactly who said what when I first met you that morning. We were standing in the hallway, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember who it was. I, th- I think that it was Stephen J. Cohen who introduced me, but I'm not positive. And uh, then when you mentioned that you worked at Blackstone, I said, oh, what do you do there? And before you had a chance to answer, I think it was Stephen. Might have been somebody else, but I think it was Stephen who either said yes or everything. Uh, (laughs) I thought, this sounds like somebody I really need to have a drink with in the speech. So thank you so much for coming in. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, it's great to be here. (laughs) Good. And uh, and since we are in the speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight? Um, So Oregon has um, some pretty amazing wine. And so I thought I would represent the state and I'm drinking a red blend um, called Druid's Fluid. Um, I have not heard of that one. That sounds great. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's just a solidly good blend. It's from the Rogue Valley here where we live. Um, it's from Troon Vineyards, um, which is a great spot. I've been out to their tasting room a couple of times, and they just make a really, really solid bottle of wine. Nothing super fancy, just really good drinkable wine. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, that's what I like about Red Blends. I, I actually... I, I tend to go for cab, but more and more, the older I get, I'm really happy with red blends, not something that's very specific, but uh, is is just very drinkable with whatever I happen to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it kind of fits all, all meals and all times a day and yeah. it's my comfortable wine. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. And, and is it a good one? Have you had it before? It is. Yeah. It's one of, um, not probably not one of my favorites here, but I'll tell you it was on a heck of a sale at the store. <laughs> so I grabbed a couple of bottles while I was there earlier. <laughs> Another aspect of purchasing alcohol price. <laughs> right. <laughs> it comes into play sometimes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I am joining you with a cocktail tonight. This one has a, a little bit of a story. Um, earlier this week or late last week, I don't remember now, uh, Chelsea Stevens contacted me. I don't know if you know Chelsea, but uh, I, I was aware of her online. And then earlier this year at the Tucson Festival of Books, I actually met an author who was working with Chelsea doing an audiobook. Oh, cool. And uh, and so she contacted me earlier this week or late last week, and uh, and she said, "Hey, I've I've got a uh, I've got a name for a drink, but I don't know how to make it." So <laughs> I I thought what she was asking was, "Have you heard of this drink and how do you make it?" But what she was ask actually asking was, "Come up with a drink because oh, I've got a great name." <laughs> that's great. And I thought I love a challenge. So all right, let me think about this. So uh, so her drink name was Dirty Old Man, and I, I I checked with her and I said, "So this isn't something that you're planning on like 
serving to your father-in-law with a wink or anything, <laughs> is it? And she said, no, 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 not at all. I just, I just thought of it and I thought that would make a good drink. So what I ended up coming up with is kind of a, a grapefruity riff on a, on a whiskey sour. So uh, I, I took an ounce and a half of uh, Old Forester Statesman bourbon. The Old Forester was simply because that was the only bourbon I had on hand that had old in the name. <laughs> and, uh, and added a little bit of mezcal because I figured, ah, eh, dirty old man, he probably smells of smoke. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then because, you know, dirty old man's probably a little bitter, I figured, well, you want to make, I want to make a bitter drink, but you can't make a drink so bitter that it's undrinkable. Right. So, uh, so I added some grapefruit liqueur and a little Aperol, which is a little bit bitter, uh, some grapefruit bitters, uh, celery bitters, and some lemon juice. And I came up with the dirty old man. And uh, I got to say, it's, it's different. And it's one of the drinks that I've come up with that I actually like. Uh, I've created a few drinks that uh, really don't work too well, but uh, <laughs> but this is one I have to say it's a it's a good one. So many thanks to Chelsea Stevens for uh, for giving me a challenge. You'll have to write that recipe down and send it to me or something so I can give it a shot at some point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it was fun coming up with it. My my wife uh, last year for my birthday got me a graduated cylinder so that mm-hmm. I can come up with really precise small amounts of things so that I'm not actually pouring full drinks when I'm coming up with something the first time. And, right, right. Uh, like I, like the size of it. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I went through a few iterations before I decided on this, but, uh, but yeah, quite good. So, so that's it for me tonight. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for coming in. Cheers. 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 All right. So you mentioned Oregon. So I know that you're in Oregon now. Have you been in Oregon your whole life or did you move there at some point? I moved here. Um, so I was born in San Francisco, but raised oh. in um, a little town in Southern California called Ojai. Oh, sure. Yeah. Ojai's yeah. great. Yeah. So um, my mom was was an English teacher there at the local high school. And um, so I was there from, let's see, second grade until I graduated um, high school. And then I came up um, to Ashland. I moved to Ashland to go to college, to go to Southern Oregon University. And I kind of just loved it so much. I didn't want to leave. <laughs> I, I could see that. I've been to Ashland uh, once and, and I've been through there. Well, I've been there twice, but it was the same trip. Um, and I loved it up there. It's lo- It's so nice here. I mean, we, in the past couple of years, we've had a, a pretty bad run of luck in the summertime with all of the smoke from all the wildfires. Oh, but yeah. outside of that, I mean, we get actual seasons, you know, it, it's, but it's pretty temperate season. So we'll get like a really heavy snow. And by really heavy snow, I mean, maybe eight inches, maybe. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's just enough to go out and like play in and feel like, you know, you're getting an actual snow day. And then you know, all the trees bloom. We have all these flowering trees. So in the springtime, it's just cherry blossoms till you're sick of them. It's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it really was beautiful when we were up there. And, uh, and I've actually been, I think that we actually stayed in Medford when I was a little kid, we were doing a, a kind of a trip from Southern California up to uh, Seattle. And it seems to me that we broke down and had to stay in Medford. So I'm actually familiar with Medford too, not just, uh, not just Ashland. That's actually where I live. I, I live in Medford. That's where and, I am right now. And, and that's where Blackstone is too, right? No, Blackstone's in Ashland proper. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. I thought they were actually in Medford. No, no. I I mean, we're going to, we just keep getting bigger and bigger. So we're going to need more facilities soon. So I'm wondering if at some point we might like open a, a secondary office in Medford. But for now it's in, um, it's in Ashland. 
So you're you're offering Blackstone to actually build on a wing of your house I as mean, long as they come in and open an office there. I guess I <laughs> that might be like I live in a condo like a condominium complex, so oh, I don't yeah. know what the neighbors would feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> might be difficult, yeah. <laughs> all right, so uh, so you are in the uh, what is it the the Rogue Rogue River Valley? Rogue yeah. River Valley? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so you've been there for a while. Yep. Yep. Since uh, 2004 when I moved up here. Cool. That's great. And uh, what did you do when you got out of school out of Ashland? Um, so when I, I didn't, I, I actually didn't finish at SOU um, through a series of really, really stupid bureaucratic college reason, things that happened. Um, a bunch of classes that I had designed my major around were canceled. And so I was there two years into my college experience and they said, well, yeah, sorry about it, but you kind of are, have part of an English degree. You could more or less start over. And yeah, nobody wants to do that. (laughs) And I said, "Mm, I'm going to get some life experience and we'll come back and talk later. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I, you know, I just worked um, random jobs here in the Valley. I, uh, Right before I started at Blackstone, um, or overlapping with my time at Blackstone, I worked for a a river rafting company. Um, I worked for like a a sandwich shop, you know, just a whole bunch of like a handful of very odd disconnected jobs while I was sort of just trying to find my footing Mm -hmm. here in the valley. And then you found your footing at Blackstone? I did, yeah. Um, a friend of mine that I was working with at the rafting company, um, the season was ending and we were both kind of just looking for a job to fill the gap. And she had a friend that was working in production at um, at Blackstone and he got her a job. And then about a week later, she was like, well, they have an- another opening. Do you want to come work here? So I interviewed and I just, so 11 years ago, I started at Blackstone Um just in production, putting discs in sleeves and uh, shrink wrapping the physical product, and uh, I kind of worked my way up from there. That that, that was back when uh, streaming had probably just barely started at that point. Yeah, so I want to say this was two thousand and eight or so. Mm-hmm. Um, like we didn't have our digital, we didn't have our website up at all, and we were doing a ton of physical product. Um, I actually, after I was just after I was in production, I moved to shipping for a little bit and then I was in duplication and um, kind of managing our fleet of duplication bots up in <laughs> up in duplication. And we also had tapes at that time still. So I would painstakingly print out the labels for all the cassette tapes, all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of them and very carefully place the label on the tape. <laughs> You know, we had a duplicate, a tape duplicator that um, could make about 50 copies at one time. So it was just this oh, massive wow. production that I was part of. And then um, from there, I was on maternity leave and a position opened up in the proofing department. And um, I was just like, this is what I really want to be doing. And I applied and I got it. And after maternity leave, I came back and I was a proofer and I was in the proofing department for about two and a half years. And then the position in the studio department opened with Brian Barney and um, he and I have worked together ever since. <laughs> well, that's great. So you've done a lot of different things now. I, I assume that you're not still putting cassettes out. 
No, no, we um, discontinued those a while yeah. back. I'm actually, I'm actually a little surprised that even 11 years ago, cassettes were still that big. I mean, that that was pretty much after, long after CDs had come in. But I know that, you know, there's a lot of legacy equipment out there. But that seems pretty late to me that you were still doing so many cassettes back then. Yeah, I think that we were still doing it because because we were only we were one of the only companies to still do tapes at that time. There was a pretty uh, high demand for them. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, I would I mean Atlas Shrugged on tape was about eight million tapes just yeah. as it was alone. And then that's we were gonna, doing hundreds. It's gotta be a it's gotta be a four pound box to deliver. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was insane. <laughs> yeah. So uh so but the CDs I could see. Do you guys still do physical media? We do, yeah. Um, you, it's we. You can buy as a customer. Um, don't quote me on this because I might be totally wrong, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that um, through Downpour, our website, you can get physical product. Um, we also sell physical product to uh, all the libraries. Well, not all the libraries, but a lot of libraries. Oh right, yeah. Um, and like bookstores and that kind of stuff. So. So it it is still going on. I know that I, I see questions about that every once in a while. And I'm I'm kind of wondering how long that's going to go on. Um, what a person that I listen to for for technical stuff, uh, technology related issues, has been saying for years that physical media is dying. But I've been hearing for almost twenty years now that ISDN is dying, and ISDN is still alive. So okay. um, you just you never know. So it's it's interesting to hear that Blackstone is still definitely doing physical. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the reasons why we still do it is because we do everything in house. We can keep our poise, our price point so like pretty low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes it, you know, economically viable for us to keep doing it. And in our dupli- in our shipping and um, in our main warehouse where we store all of our product um, upstairs, we have, I think it's, we're up to like 20 or so duplication machines that can run, that can burn like six or seven discs at once. So we have a lot of output going out. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's interesting. You, you got into Blackstone without doing anything in audio or audiobook production before that. I did. Yeah, that's, that is correct. Um, in high school and a bit in, in, in college, I was really heavily involved in music and theater. And so, and I went to college, um, to, uh, to be an editor, um, of children's book being the folk children's books being the focus um, and so when I heard about, I had no idea that Blackstone existed in Ashland. Mm. I didn't know that there was an audiobook company in, you know, in town. I had at that point listened to probably a couple of audiobooks, but mm-hmm. not enough to know about the industry at all. And, um, it was a bit of a surprise. I, you know, I went there for my interview that first day and I was expecting just, you know, like a strip mall kind of setup and I walked into this huge, you know, production. <laughs> yeah. So, um, nice I kind surprise. Of, yeah, absolutely. And so I learned, I learned the industry sort of from the bottom to the top, just by the nature of the information that I had at each step in my mm-hmm. um, career at Blackstone. So it's, it's been neat to see the, the company, particularly the company evolve with over time and, you know, just, how things are different now and how we relate to the, how we relate to and react to the, um, uh, losing my words. <laughs> no, to the right. itself. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's what I was thinking was the changes in the market, because it is one of those things that because it's experiencing such phenomenal growth is changing pretty rapidly. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that's great though. That even though you hadn't had any experience with audiobooks or audio production, that you did theater, so you're familiar with the acting aspect that is so important in mm-hmm. audiobooks, and you were uh, kind of focused on children's literature in college, and yeah. so uh, you know, books of any kind uh, and uh, acting of some sort, and what a great marriage. Now you're at a place that does audiobooks. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And it's funny because, I mean, when I did theater in high school, I, I did a little bit of acting. It was already always like, you're part of the chorus. But <laughs> I did a yeah. lot of, um, I did a lot of tech work, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, set design, lighting design. Um, in my hometown in Ojai, there's the Ojai Shakespeare Festival. And um, every year I would intern with them and I'd get to work on the main stage production, helping with all the lights, um, along with a couple of other interns. Um, Very cool. Yeah. And I was also really, really involved in the music department, um, both in college and um, high school. So it was sort of audiobooks have become this interesting uh, little crux of all of my interests combined really nicely. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. It's uh, I remember talking to Joel Leslie Frumkin a while back and kind of the same thing happened to him, all these different aspects of his creative endeavors all sort of merged in his audiobook career. So mm-hmm. um, so that's great. I, I love hearing that. And uh, And so now you are the studio services coordinator at Blackstone, which um, it, it doesn't really, I mean, I could assume a lot of things about what that position would entail, but instead of me doing that, why don't you tell me, what does that position entail? <laughs> that position entails... Um, pretty much managing, tracking all of the moving parts for every book that we produce. And I'm sure Um, there are many. There are many. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So basically the process is we get a book and it gets filtered into our schedule. And um, when it comes time to start working on that, I'll get the manuscript either from the publisher or from Amazon if it's a backlist title. Um, And then I... I read the book and I summarize it and um, I, I, I produce about, like I, I cast and whatnot about like 15 t- of our titles a month. And the rest, I just, I help Brian um, kind of uh, in his, like it work in his process to give him the assets that he needs. I assign pronunciation research to our outside researchers if it needs that. Um, if it's a multicast title, I'll break down the manuscript entirely into who's reading what section and what pages. Um, and then I just, I, I track each step of it. So, okay, at this date, we need the fi- the recordable text. At this date, we need the final text. Okay, make sure proofing knows this, make sure engineering knows that. And inputting all of the data into our internal um, system so that everybody can have all the information that they need. Um, so how many people is it that you have to coordinate with within Blackstone when you're dealing with a, a single title? Um, I, it, it kind of varies. Um, so I'll, I'll work in, in the, in the building, like in Blackstone itself, I'll work with, um, Brian, obviously, um, if it's going to be recorded in our studios at Blackstone, I'll work with the recording engineer, I'll, if there's anything that the proofing department needs to know, I'll be in touch with the head of the proofing department or the direct proofer. Um, sometimes graphics, the graphics team needs to know something. Sometimes the copy proofing team needs to know something. So I kind of just bounce around and I've become somewhat of a catch-all at Blackstone. I get a lot of emails being like, 
I have no idea who to ask this. So I'm <laughs> going to ask you. <laughs> um, so I kind of, uh, I just, I, I hold all the information and I give it to people as they need it, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great to have somebody like that because how frustrating is it to, whether it's, you know, audiobooks or, or uh, who knows, in any uh, field, how frustrating is it to call and have them say, oh, I don't know, let me find yeah. out. But having somebody who knows what all of the moving pieces are so mm -hmm. that they know who to contact about a specific moving piece, that's that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's it works out pretty well. I mean, I just by the benefit of being at Blackstone for so long, I I can if I don't know the answer, I know exactly who does have the answer and I can go get it very quickly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm definitely one of those people where I don't if I leave something on a back burner, I will forget about it and burn down the entire apartment building. So I, I keep, <laughs> I, I try to get the answers and the problem solved as quickly as possible, just so I don't forget. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. And um, what is uh, Brian's title? I know that I uh, did not get a chance to meet him at APAC in the past two years and I'd wanted to, but uh, you know, like I said, whirlwind, hard to meet people. For sure. He, he's our executive producer. Okay. Um, yeah. So I assumed that it was something like that, but uh, wasn't sure. Yeah. Uh, just to keep everybody in the loop here. Um, yeah. So you mentioned proofing. Do you guys uh, do all of proof, all of the proofing that you do in-house or do you uh, outsource that at all? Um, we do technically, I mean, in-house, but a couple of our proofers like work from home, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we do have, when we have a huge volume of titles, I know that there is a, a group that we will tap every now and then. Um, for their, uh, for them to prove for us. But for the most part we have, let's see, we have, I want to say 10 proofers with the company. Um, oh, wow. That's, that's quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we just, we just hired a new person like a month or two ago. And, um, yeah, the, the proofing team is great. I was, I was on the proofing team for like two and a half years. So, um, so you know that job well. <laughs> I do. Yeah. And I do, I still do it freelance sometimes when I feel like working on some side projects. So. Because of all the spare time that you have? All that spare time I've got. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you mentioned uh, some of the proofers working at home. You're, you're relatively local. I mean, I know that it's not too far from Medford to Ashland. Um, do, yeah. you, do you ever do, uh, do you ever, I, I shouldn't say do you ever work at home because I'm sure that you do some things at home, but do you normally work in the office? I usually do drive into the office. Um, it, I, you know, Brian's been gracious enough to say, you know, if you've got something to come up, you can work from home. Um, but it's, it's not an all the time thing. I like, I like being in the office because sometimes it, people will just, you know, walk into my office and be like, I just need this right now. And I don't want to do this on online. It's too much to put into an email. So mm -hmm. it's good for me to be there. Um, but I, I also do like working from home because I feel like I'm a little bit more, be more productive at home when I don't have to like, wake up and get ready and then go, I can just get up, make a pot of coffee and then work in my jammies all day. <laughs> yep, yep, to totally understand. Yeah. I, um, I've experienced both. I, I used to work at eBay and when we moved to Tucson, I was still working at eBay and I was just working remotely. And what I found was that when I'm doing work where I know all of the pieces, it was, um, it was great because here I was, I could just get up and like you say, get going and do whatever I needed to. But what I also found was that there were situations where this is just so frustrating because if I was in the office 
this person would be behind me and this person would be next to me and we could have a, a 10 minute confab and it would be easy to fix. And instead I'm having to track people down and um, nobody's available and I'm not understanding because we're only speaking instead of seeing each other. And so I, I totally get it. There are a lot of times when it's a lot better to be in person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I really love um, Blackstone. Just, I mean, the, the buildings themselves are so quirky and, um, the building that I'm in was when I started working, there was just an empty giant, empty warehouse. And we have kind of built this rabbit's warren of offices in it. <laughs> and we keep trying to squeeze in offices here. <laughs> like We're running out of space, but um, my office is in the very back of the building. And it's like, it's the office under the stairs. I call it the Harry Potter office. And um, <laughs> it's, I'm kind of secluded from the rest of um, the building, but um, I, it's nice to to go there and every now and then I'll wander through graph the graphics department and be like, Oh, who are all you people? I haven't seen you in <laughs> days. <laughs> That's great. So it's it's good for the um uh I think the just the psych psychology of if I if I stay at home and I work at home, I just won't leave because I'm very comfortable being at my house. Yeah, yeah, that's that is a downside to working at home. Yeah. Uh, what about New York? I I believe that Blackstone has a facility in New York. Yes, we do. Yeah, we have our studio in New York, and um, we are actually in the process of building um, an, another studio in the John Marshall Media Building where our studio is currently, and we also have a satellite office in uh, Portland, Oregon. So, oh, I didn't realize that Portland as well. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a much smaller office. I think I think there's maybe oh ten ten people maybe that work up there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's yeah, I I went up a year or so ago. I went up to visit a friend in Portland, and I didn't want to use a whole bunch of PTO. And I was just like, can I just go work in the Portland office? Is that a thing I can do? And <laughs> I to work in the beautiful. It's in the Pearl District. It's lovely. So that's great. Um, yeah. And do you get out to New York very often? Not very often. Um, the past two years I've gone for APAC. Um, I'd like to get out there more and have more actual full conversations with people <laughs> rather than just the, you know, the whirlwind of yeah. and APAC. Um, it's, I'm kind of a, uh, it, it's, a, it's a little bit overwhelming for me. Um, I, the, just the city itself is overwhelming. The amount of people is overwhelming. So I need like, when I got back from APAC, I was joking with my boyfriend. I was just like, I need, I need like a two week vacation to decompress, <laughs> you know, just, um, I totally, so I, un I totally understand that. And I'm guessing that at least half the people listening will understand that as well. <laughs> yeah, and, um, it's such a great experience to go there, but, um, and I'm always happy to go if Blackstone wanted me to go meet publishers or work, you know, whatever it is, I'm happy to do it. It's just, I also like being removed from, the big cities. It's just sure. not really my, my mode of life. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely understand. Uh, always, having grown up in the suburbs and then lived in the Bay Area for a while, uh, you mentioned San Francisco. And I was seeing somebody at one point who lived in San Francisco. And I, I kept saying, I, I could move here. And yeah. I just never could. It was it yeah. was just not me. So, yeah, maybe like Marin, if I ever became very, very wealthy. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah, well, yeah. the Bay, the Bay Area as a whole at this point, if you ever became wealthy, because it's just right. e even in the six years that we've been here, uh, I just I hear the stories about the prices, and I don't, I just think I don't know how long that's sustainable. I mean, yeah. I know it is, just like New York and London yeah. and all, all the big cities, it is, and there's peaks and valleys and and whatnot, but it just seems crazy when you're at a certain level and you see what's happening out there. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, I'm second generation San Francisco. My dad was born and raised there. And, um, so I got to go down there, um, a little bit earlier this summer in the Bay area. And I, I love it down there. It's just, again, you know, I just, I found Oregon and I was just like, no, oh, it's my home. Yeah. Isn't that great? to be yeah yeah, yeah that's <laughs> fantastic <laughs> that, that's cool um so within uh blackstone um you know you said you do maybe 15 books a month do you have any kind of a, a specialty or a niche i mean if if ya books come in or if horror comes in or if anything does somebody say oh give that to jesse um I, I have the pleasure of uh putting together the recording schedule for every month so i kind of get to like cherry pick the projects that I like and you know nice. Brian is happy to you know if he if there's something he's gonna do he's gonna do it and I know which titles um how to split the titles really fairly between us and um Grover Gardner is also our uh, associate casting director so I split them between all of us and Jamie does casting Jamie Matler does casting for us also mm. uh, but my my absolute favorite thing to do is the multi-voice projects um, whether that's short story anthologies or, um, a not, you know, novel with a various points of view, it is just so fun to sit there and get to pick every voice that's just perfect for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, like I got to do the, we did aliens bug hunt and then predator if it bleeds, which were all these, sh- um, story anthologies in the Predator and Alien universes. And so I just got to put together this like outrageous cast of like, yeah, you want to just shoot some aliens and have some fun here? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. And um, I'm curious about the trend uh, since you mentioned the multicast in uh, aside from anthologies where one person does a story. um, Are you seeing an increase in multicast titles? It feels like it, it fluctuates. It seems like some months we'll have several that are multicast books or at least, um, you know, a dual narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, and then other months it's just like, it'll be straight narration for straight single voice narration for a couple of months. Um, I haven't noticed a huge trend. Um, I know that we, um, we do pick up a lot of the short story anthologies. Like I got to work on, um, Andre Dubas's, uh, collections, which were really, really, I was very proud of that particular, um, work and, um, it's sort of just the, you know, the luck of the draw, what our acquisitions agents are getting and what, Mm -hmm. um, what happens to fall in that month. That's just one of those, those things about audiobooks where, as I was saying earlier, because the, the industry is, is, uh, experiencing so much growth, there's so much change. And there are a couple of aspects of audiobooks that I'm really curious, and I, I wish I knew, not that it would matter that much, but it's one of those things where I wish I had a crystal ball and I could see whether or not everything is going in the direction of multicast. And the other one is sound effects. There are a few series like the Star Wars books, I understand, use mm-hmm. a lot of sound effects. And in general, the recommendation is don't ever consider using sound effects in your book, but in certain cases, they seem to be very well received. And so I'm, I'm really curious about that trend, those trends to see what's going to happen in the future. That's, that's why I was asking about the multicast. Yeah. And I, I know that I, um, I believe that it's kind of just Blackstone standard that we don't do. And I, I, so all the, all of the sound effects and music and all that falls into the dramatization category, Mm -hmm. um, like clinically speaking <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah. Blackstone doesn't um the books that we produce as a standard are non-dramatic um which 
with our though, but with our Disney, the books that we do for um, under the Disney umbrella, we do add um, music at top at the top and tail of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once a year, we do um, a partner production with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, where we select one of their plays from the season and we do the audio version of it. And oh, so, no kidding, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So the whole cast will come in and um, we'll, we put um, we put up several mic- microphones in our live studio. We have this big, beautiful live studio and um, we'll use the sound effects that they used in the play itself. Oh, so, the, the, the sound design. Yeah, yeah. So it's an actual um, representation of what was on the stage. That's fantastic. I didn't know yeah. you, that you guys did that. Yeah, I think we're on, oh, I want to say this is, this year will be our ninth year doing it. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for one of those because um, I've, like I said, I've been to Ashland once and uh, had a great time uh, and, you know, just such great theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, so listening to one of those would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And it's um, it's fun to sort of make those connections with the actors at the festival. A couple of the um, a couple of our narrators that are that work in house with us are also OSF actors. Um, but it's fun to see you know, these veteran actors come in and get all like giggly about the process of, you know, oh, we're recording an audiobook. This is really cool. And they kind of, <laughs> it's like kind of hearkening back to like an earlier acting experience for them. So yeah, it's, it's very cool. That's great. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned casting. So you said that uh, Jamie Matler does some of the casting. Um, in terms of casting any one given audiobook, is that just you said that you have your calendar and you see who's doing what you're working on this. Brian's working on that. Um, and then is it just a matter of, well, this is one of my books. And so I'm doing the casting or is that something where you coordinate with other people and, and you talk about things? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, depending on the complexity of the book, I absolutely will go to Brian, to Jamie, to Grover and say, I don't, I don't know who even do, who even does this accent? Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, or you know, Brian will come to me and say, "What do you think about this?" Grover will turn around in his chair and um, we'll bounce ideas off of each other. So it's very like we're not like in the corners hoarding over our like little stack of titles each. You know, <laughs> it's, very, it's um, mine. It's all right, mine. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's very um, uh, collaborative experience. Um, there are some titles just by the nature of if the, if it's just a straight history by a six written by a 60 year old white guy, like it's, it's not a, it's not hard to figure that one out, but um, right. some of the more right. complex ones, we, uh, we bounce each other, we bounce ideas off of each other. Absolutely. That's cool. It sounds like a pretty collaborative work environment. Yeah. And you know, we, so Grover and I are in the office together and um, Jamie and Brian are obviously in New York. Um, but we're so connected, like all day long, we're on Slack, we're emailing, um, we'll Zoom, we'll have Zoom meetings. So um, it's, with with the benefit of having this technology, we, do, we don't feel like we're, you know, a country apart. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, I didn't realize that Brian was in New York. I actually thought he was in Oregon. He was. Um, I think he moved to New York, I want to say it was two or three years ago this summer. Hmm. But yeah, yeah, he's been out there for a little bit. All right. Well, uh, well, that's cool. It's it's always good to have a work environment where everybody gets along and can talk to each other and help each other out. So, oh yeah, and I, well, you know, 
it's, it's not, it goes beyond, you know, just being fond of everybody. I, I have such respect for these, these three humans that I'm working with, Jamie, Brian, and Grover, because, you know, they're so good at what they do. And mm-hmm. I sometimes just like, ah, I'm just faking all of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I know that one person who went through Blackstone, I actually uh, interviewed here in the speakeasy uh, several months ago, Susan Purvis. Um, yeah. And and she has her story of how she, uh, it, it was going to be done in audio and she was going to be doing it and she had all these thoughts. And then um, she said, I, I can't do this unless somebody helps me. And uh, she ended up getting set up with Jamie for mm-hmm. some for some coaching and she said it was a phenomenal experience yeah uh, I think she said they had like three three sessions maybe more I, I don't remember but she said it was completely different than what I expected Aww. so so I'm wondering if you do any after the experience that you've had at Blackstone if you do any sort of coaching or mentoring of narrators for projects like that or just in general um not really um I, I'm always help, happy to uh, help break down a script if anybody needs help with that or some guidance on, I'm not quite sure how to, like, where to hit this character in age or tone. Um, I'm, I, I read, I just, I just read all the time. It's just what I do all the time is I just read. So mm-hmm. I'm very, like, I have a very book-centric uh, point of view. So it's easy for me to kind of, to do that. But I I don't do a lot of direction. Um, I haven't ever been a, a director in the sense that uh, Jamie has. But at APAC this year, it was just it was one of the one of the best things that happened to me at APAC this year was I um, Jamie got to uh, to the Javits Center to do her director diagnostics, and I saw her and I beelined because I hadn't seen her since I was there. And she's like, "I got to go to do director diagnostics. Just come with me." So oh, I got cool. In and kind of just be a fly on the wall of her sessions. And it was so, I learned so much just watching her and how she interacted with each different narrator and the feedback that she was giving. It was so precise and direct and thoughtful that you could see the change instantly and hear the change in their narrative instantly. It was just, it was very impressive. And it made me want to do more of that, but I certainly need to practice and. Sure. I'm not sure how to practice directing people when, you know, on a low stakes situation. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what, a, what, a, what a great experience though. That's, that's great that she was there and that she wanted you to come along for that. Oh my gosh. It was, I was just like, are you kidding? Can I really, you don't mind? She was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it that's was very fa- cool. That's fantastic. And, uh, and everybody that I've talked to and, and myself as well, um, had a great experience at director diagnostics this year. Yeah, so, um, it seems like a really, like, it's, the setup of it is very cool, and I like how it's kind of rapid fire, and you don't, you don't have time to think about reasons why you shouldn't be taking their feedback, you just do the thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. no, that's, that's great, I'm, I'm glad that you got a chance to do that, that somebody other than narrators uh, got, got to be introduced to it, even though they're not yeah. doing that. So, during a, an audiobook production, so, uh, it sounds like you are not specifically a director, how much do you get involved when the actual recording is taking place at Blackstone Studios? Um, I have very little involvement in the actual recording that has that happens at Blackstone. Our um, 
studio manager slash lead engineer is Jared Garcia. Um, Jared and I have worked together at Blackstone for 10 years. He started a year after me and we, he's in the office with me and Grover and, um, it's gotten to the point where Jared and I can just have pretty much full blown conversations in movie and TV quotes. We know each other so well. It's um, <laughs> great he, when you get to that level. <laughs> totally. He does all of the, the scheduling. Um, we have three studios and um, we have, I want to say about 10 local narrators. Um, so he has his team of recording engineers. And um, so that's really on them, but they're always popping in and saying, Hey, can you check this on the research? Um, we're not sure there's a typo here. What should we do? So I I'm involved in that sense that they're just coming in and asking me questions about the text, but I don't sit in on the sessions. Okay. Uh, is that something that you, I mean, based on what you just said about your experience in director diagnostics, is that something that you are looking at in the future? Maybe. I don't know if there's a huge call for it here in Ashland, in our studios. Um, like, a, So our narrators here are working directly with, a, with an engineer in the room. So having another body monitoring the text and all of that is kind of, it, it's not as effective as I could be just being at my desk working through everything else. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I would love to, you know, if there's a very special project that needs a little bit of, you know, helping hands, we get author reads down here sometimes and generally Grover because, because he's Grover, um, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll be the director in those sorts of situations, um, which is, is as it should be. Um, but I mean, down the line, if it's just one of those things where if there's a possibility of it happening and if, if the cards play out right, I would love to, it's also hard for me to, be at work, but also step away from email and everything for like a full day and mm -hmm. then have yeah. to play catch up on all of my regular stuff. Yeah. I'm sure it'll happen eventually, but I'm not, I'm not like champing at the bit and trying to make it happen. Just if it does, it doesn't. It's cool. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Uh, it just sounds like something that given the experience that you just had recently would be something that would be at the very least really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I look forward to that opportunity, but it's just being here in Ashland, it, our, our narrators here are so, they're, you know, they're pros. They've been doing this for years. They don't really need my direction. <laughs> I'd probably just get in their way, if anything. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but uh, are, are your local narrators there uh, involved in the Oregon Shakespeare Festival as well? A couple of them are, yes. Um, let's see. We have Kevin Kennerly, um, Armando Duran. Kate Mulligan and Erica Sullivan and Caroline Schaefer. Um, I think that's all. I'm probably forgetting somebody like a bonehead, but. Um, no, that's fine. I, I was just curious. It just seems like because that's such a target rich environment for actors, that that would be something that they could do in addition to working at, yeah. at, the, at the festival. Yeah. Um, and some of them do. Um, it seems like there's a couple of schools of thought. I mean, this is just my, um, commentary based on the OSF, the joint OSF productions we've done, where some of the actors at OSF are really, really interested in narrating. And so we're like, please, when this product, when, when we're done, when we've wrapped this OSF thing, come in for an audition. And then they, they don't come in or they come in and they don't follow up or whatever it is. And then a, a huge portion of the OSF actors are only seasonal. So it's, oh, yeah. right. They're not local. Yeah. Yeah. They, they jet back to New York, they go to wherever they're going. So, right. um, 
I hadn't thought of that. I it, having been there, it just seems like such a family. It seems like oh, all these people live here. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten <laughs> about the fact that they don't. So. Well, I mean, a, a big portion of them do, but there's um, there's definitely a lot of people that just come in for the season. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so clearly you do a lot of things at Blackstone. What do you do when you're not focusing on audiobooks at Blackstone? <laughs> what is this that you speak of? <laughs> um, all that, all that spare time that all you. All that got. spare time. No, um, <laughs> well, I have my my silly, silly, sweet nine year old girl, and um, she and I hang out, and we color, and we watch just all of the nerd shows, and. Um, my boy, my boyfriend and I live together. And, uh, so we'll try to get out on little adventures around the area. Um, there's, like I said, there's an amazing, um, wine and microbrew, um, you know, community here. So when I, on the, the days, the weekends that I don't have Willa, when she goes to her dad's, we, um, me and my friends will go wine tasting. We'll just go hang out at the local brewery and have all of, you know, really good pub food. <laughs> and, um, then, uh, me and my boyfriend and a couple of our friends, we do a trivia night every Wednesday night. And, um, nice. yeah, it's, so we have, it's, it's a quiet life, but I really enjoy it. It's so, it's nice to have, um, so many different things to do. You know, we have a really great lake just outside of Ashland and there's a whole bunch more just in the surrounding areas. So, um, try to get out and get some sunshine, but also there's more to do here than I think people uh, realize. So that's, that's great. I, I love hearing that because clearly you are, um, devoted to work, but it's, it's really nice to hear that you've got so many other things that you do, not just occasionally, but on a regular basis. Yeah. And I, I, I read a lot. I, I have been very, very lucky in that. I mean, I read for work pretty much constantly every day, but I still come home and want to read like for pleasure for my books. Um, and so I do, I do a lot of sitting in the sunshine reading, which is kind of my favorite way to spend a Saturday. Nice. That's, that's fantastic. Some, somebody posted something on Twitter recently about, um, uh, something, something, I, I don't even remember what it, he, he's a book blogger and he, he posted some, uh, something about wanting to read a specific book. And I, I commented, I don't have time to read because I'm too busy reading. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I know that that happens to a lot of narrators. Um, and, and it's not entirely true because I do spend time on other things that I could be spending reading instead. Um, but if that is something that you love to do, even outside of work, then it's great that, that, uh, that you can get some of that in. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I get to, I get to, because I get ARCs and stuff, I get to read some stuff that's coming out early and it's, I, you know, so I'll just sit there and really, really dive into like a silly fantasy thing or something. I, I, I still enjoy doing that, which I, I was worried taking the job in the studio department that I was going to lose my love of reading. Um, I mean, if you could see my house, there's just books just everywhere. That <laughs> they're, they're taking over the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's really my my main hobby is just reading and learning um you know more about the authors that I really love and how they like their processes and stuff so well that's that's actually good to hear um because that is a concern in any field is if I start doing so you know they they always say do what you love the money will follow but the problem is that sometimes when you start working for the thing that you love you start hating the thing that you love so um so that's really good to hear that you started working in audiobooks and yet you still have a love of the written word and you still love to read Absolutely yeah it's um I feel like I feel very lucky lucky and a lot of my friends are like how do you 
how does it, how do you like to go home and just start reading again? You just finished yeah. <laughs> of reading. What are you doing? And yeah. I, it's, it's kind of different because I'm not looking at, when I'm at home reading, I'm not looking at a manuscript for the technicalities of it or for the right. voice for it or for the pronunciations in it. I'm just, you can just I can get lost just in the world. The thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's great. All right. Well, so uh, what what words of advice do you have for aspiring narrators out there? Somebody who is just starting out or somebody who's at the point where they want to work for Blackstone? Um, what what have you seen that that you can pass on to people as uh, things that they should look out for or uh, or do more of? Um, actually, one of the things that I think it was I forget, maybe it was in, I was listening to some of the, like I was telling you earlier, I was listening to some of the episodes of your podcast earlier. And I think it was Jamie who said, um, don't send demos or ask for auditions until you're ready. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a very good piece of advice. And of course, there's no way to really get ready without doing the auditions, but, you know, taking classes, you know, um, signing up for workshops is really helpful. Um, we it's it's given the fact that we have the studios in Ashland. Um, we we have people auditioning in our studios all the time, and so many of them are so green and have just zero idea of what the audiobook industry actually is. They're just like, I want to read a book. Mm-hmm. So um, really, if you know, if it's something that you want to make a career out of listening a above all things listen to audiobooks listen to every genre listen to every voice type male female young old accented not um listen to the people that are the like the best at their craft and learn from them and see if you can embody the the positive qualities of everybody's narration and then make it your own um one of the things grover I remember Grover saying many, many years ago was you have to know where your story's ending to make the beginning believable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to a new narrator, make sure you know the text cold, (laughs) make sure you've done your homework, Um, understand every, like that you're not just telling the, not you're not just reading the novel, you're telling the individual stories of every character in it. So you have to understand all of their thought patterns, all of their processes, who they are. It's like you're, you have a play and you have to say, you know, you're speaking all these parts and um, it's, it's difficult to find a balance between um, play acting and actual solid narration. And the only way to do it is to just do it aloud. So read to yourself, read out to yourself in your apartment, read to your dog, read to your cat, read your significant other and get used to hearing your voice aloud, you know, and then start taking titles on ACX and then maybe do a workshop with one of the many people in the industry that do all the amazing workshops and find a, you know, some, a lot of people don't want to be put into a niche, which I totally understand. But if you find yourself excelling in a certain genre, dig into it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah. um, No, it's just, it's a matter of um, putting thought into uh, honoring the craft before you just dive in thinking that you can because you've been in plays or you've done voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget. So I was talking to Jared, my coworker, the other, some manner of time ago, and we were talking about how someone's done community theater and wants to just walk mm-hmm. in and do a Broadway show is sort of <laughs> the, 
what's on par to a lot of newer narrators who are just like, why can't I just do this now? Mm-hmm. Why don't, why don't I have, you know, the, why am I not getting respect faster, not getting books faster? And it's really about being thoughtful and mindful of your craft. And that even though all of us are working so insularly, it's a huge community and, but all at the same time, also very small, close knit and introduce yourself, you know, with grace, I think is some good advice. Well, that sounds like great advice. Um, I, I see it online sometimes and it seems like coaching and workshops is a very good thing for very new narrators. And, um, and what can people do if they want to work with Blackstone? What can people do if they want to work for Blackstone? Um, well, we have a lovely inbox called auditions at blackstoneaudio.com. And that is where you should send demos. Um, it might feel like you're sending them into a void, but we do check it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe not every day, but at least a couple times a week, we'll dive into there. And um, it's, you know, it's it's about, you know, um, so Jared Garcia and I, we both listen to a lot of the auditions. And one of the biggest things that hits me is if you send a demo and then I follow up at, with an email that says, hey, I want an original, I want a clean, fresh five-minute sample fiction, five minute sample of nonfiction, don't then just turn around and send me the demo that I've already been sent. <laughs> that kind of defeats the purpose of what I'm asking. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we, I mean, we're always taking auditions. Um, and I, I do like it when people reach out to me directly and just say a, like a little, you know, paragraph or so about who they are um, what they like to read, what they've been doing, um, to, you know, as in preparation, um, if they have a home studio where they're located, um, it's really good to know if you have any specialties like accents or I speak Dutch fluently, things like that are really, really good to know. Um, mm-hmm. um, I just like having all of that information because I keep, you know, I keep my own notes. I keep my own spreadsheet about all of these people that, um, are trying to get in with us. And, a lot of it is just sort of, sometimes it's just luck. Like somebody has a skill set that all of a sudden we need and it starts just this chain of, oh, so you did this one book and you did it really well and there was no problems. And so how about this one? And how about you try this? And it just kind of snowballs. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, and I try to respond to pretty much every email that I get um, so far as like solic- solicitations go. Um, I, I don't need those emails to be super long winded, just, Hey, I, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I always pass on, um, samples that I get to the rest of the production crew. If, um, if I think that they're, that they're great, if, you know, or if there's potential, um, and, it's uh, Blackstone's a great company to work for. And I, I love hearing, I love it when we get fresh voices in. it's really, it's nice. Oh, that's good. I'm I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are going to like to hear that. And what was the address again? It was uh, auditions at Blackstone? Um, auditions at blackstoneaudio.com. Blackstone Audio. Okay. Yeah. Great. And where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? Um, I don't do a lot of social media. It's just Facebook. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just, I'm on Facebook. Um, please feel free to send me a friend request with a message about who you are. Um, I... I'm pretty active there, but I don't do Twitter and I don't do Instagram or anything like that. So, um, 
Facebook is great. If you want to shoot me an email um, at work, it's jesse.bickford at blackstoneaudio.com. And uh, like I said, if I if you send me an introductory email and I don't respond, don't be discouraged. I just get a lot of emails. So It, it does sound like you have a lot to do. <laughs> all right well that's great jesse thank you so much for coming in tonight i uh i I had a great time talking with you i uh have finished the dirty old man my thanks again to chelsea stevens because it was a great uh great challenge and i came up with something that i certainly enjoyed hopefully somebody else will too put the the recipe out on facebook or something and i'll i'll make it and report back I will. That sounds good. And I, I hope the wine is good. It has been good as well. It has been. I've gone through about a glass and a half. Of- nice. I actually brought the uh, brought I, I brought the old Forester in, but I uh, have not poured any extra. So <laughs> anyway, that's great. Thank you so much for coming in, Jesse. Thank you. It's been great to, ha- to be here. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Jesse Bickford for stopping in. I really enjoyed hearing about all the things she does at Blackstone, and I hope you did, too. As always, you can find the audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!